tuned in to this episode of Pace Performance Bite Size. So this bite size clip comes from episode 286 with Stuart McMillan, which was the most popular episode of 2020, where he discusses the underpinning characteristics of sprinting from a team sport background and a track and field background. But just before we do dive into this bite size episode, I want to say a big thanks to Rock Daisy for sponsoring this episode today. Rock Daisy have the world's first and only free athlete management system, AMS Lite. So collecting data, visualizing data, and getting the data to where it needs to be, which is in front of coaches, to make decisions. If you're looking for a cost-effective way to do all that, make sure you check out RockDaisy at rockdaisy.com. And one thing that came to me was at the topic around the underpinning characteristics of speed and how that differs, if it does differ, from a when you're looking at a team's general team sport athlete to a track athlete. So I'd love to get your overview, kind of kind of overview on that, philosophy on that, and then we can use them answers to to jump off from if that's all right. Yeah, sure. So, you know, to back off a little bit or to back up a little bit, you know, the first question you need to ask is speed a primary limiting factor in the sport in which you perform or coach? And if the answer is yes, then where is it in the in the hierarchy of KPIs within that? And if it is, you know, one of the top three or four or five or ten or whatever, if you if you determine that that is an important uh, factor in your sport, then you know it's 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 contingent upon you to understand that. You know, as, you know. So we we have a lot of strength and conditioning coaches that that come to us, right? And we we you know I started as a strength and conditioning coach, so I'm I'm kind of connected to that community. And in the strength and conditioning world, and it's, it's getting, it's, it's changing a lot now. But a decade ago, two decades ago, it was all about the strength part of strength and conditioning and very little about conditioning. And it was really only about within strength, what happened in the weight room. And even within the weight room, it just was just around, you know, for some people, just Olympic lifts or just power lifts. It was very reduced and it didn't really have a great transfer over to what the sport is. You know, the strength and conditioning coach his role or her role was just, okay, can I get this athlete in front of me stronger or more powerful? And if I can do that, then I've done my job. And I think over the course of the last 5, 10, 15 years, we've, we've begun to think a lot more about transference and the type of work that I am doing with athletes is that transferring over to the sport in which they are performing. And that being the sort of the objective rather than backing up with the objective, just getting athletes bigger, stronger, or faster, or more powerful, or what have you. So, and I think, like I said, I think we've seen a bit of a change in that. You know, one of the quotes that Dan has is strength and conditioning coaches seem to have a PhD on the strength end of things, but they don't even have a first grade knowledge of speed, where speed is, you know, probably in most cases, and I'm not, I don't think I'm being controversial by saying this, more, a more transferable skill or ability than strength is to almost every court-based and field-based sports. And if it is more important, if it is more transferable, if it is more, you know, has a greater factor to the, you know, towards the successful performance of these athletes in those sports, then why don't coaches within those sports know more about it? So that's kind of, you know, where I start from. And it's, it's, it's pretty evident that traditionally fitness coaches or strength and conditioning coaches 
don't know a ton about speed or speed development or mechanics or any of the, those, you know, those things around speed. So like I said, though, I, I, it is changing. There is a greater respect for it, but I think it stems from a better understanding around what is the role of the fitness coach or the strength and conditioning coach. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's a lot more now. It's, 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 it's become a lot more than just getting athletes in front of you bigger, stronger, or faster, which is, which is fantastic. So to, you know, to get to the, you know, to the uh, nitty gritty of your question, you know, I don't really see much of a difference. Um, the underpinning things that are important to getting athletes fast are important, whether, whether you're getting them or preparing these athletes to run hundred meters, 200 meters, 400 meters, or whether you're preparing them to be a professional American football player or, or a British football player or a basketball player, or rugby player, what have you, it's all the same. It's just where in that hierarchy of KPIs do those things exist? So, you know, in, in, in track and field, for example, the mechanics of how an athlete moves down the track is really important. It's, it's a primary factor. It's one of the most important factors that determines whether that athlete succeeds or doesn't succeed. Is it as important in, for, let's say, an off offensive lineman in American football? No. Nope. Not definitely not as important. Is it is a wide receiver in American football? Is it more important for that athlete to move mechanically sound than the offensive lineman? Absolutely. Is it uh, as important for a basketball player? Is it as important for a field hockey player? So you just got to first and foremost ask yourself those questions. Where is it in the hierarchy of KPIs here? The mechanics of how an athlete moves or sprints. How does it, you know, how does it determine the, the success or lack of success of the athlete? So we start from there. So if it is, say, for example, an offensive lineman, I'm not going to spend a ton of time with an offensive lineman teaching him how to upright sprint. That would just be silly, right? I would, be, I, I would coach him enough so he doesn't hurt himself when he has to do these stupid sprints at the NFL combine or what have you. And that would be about <laughs> it. The rest of the time would be, you know, working on more abilities that are much more important to, for him in his sport, in his position within that sport, and with him as an individual within that position. So we start always with what's important to the sport and then work, work from there. Just based that on that. Overall answer? Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. I've chatted about this to, who was it? James Wilde, I think, over here at uh -huh. Surrey Sports Park, and why strength and conditioning coaches, and use that as a kind of global term, fitness coach, sports scientist, whatever it may be, um, gravitate towards the strength and power area, like you mentioned about Dan having the, you know, mentioned about the PhD in the strength and power, but the um, like year one or two in 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 the speeds in the speed side of things. Do you think it's? Do you think a lot of strength and conditioning coaches see the speed as? And this is de definitely not to put words in people's mouths here or pitch in people's minds, but almost a bit mythical in how people in track and field have got people fast over time and, and are quite daunted by that side of things, therefore have gravitated towards the strength and power because it just ma it makes a little bit more sense to them because they haven't been exposed to them methods in a track and field environment. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's, that's definitely a part of it. I, th I think the primary reason why we bias towards um, the strength end of things is because those strength abilities are much easier for us to measure 
and therefore much easier for us to justify our positions, our roles within the performance team, as well as much easier to justify the entire relevance of the profession and the industry and the, you know, the, the role of strength and conditioning profession within the sport performance industry, right? If, I, if my role as a strength and conditioning coach is to get athletes stronger, then if, if the athlete cleans 90 kilos and in three months he's, he's cleaning 110 kilos, then I have just justified my position within the team. That's very simple, right? Yeah. And that's kind of how the entirety of the strength and conditioning profession has grown up over the course of the last 20 or 30 years. We've justified our roles within it, our, our roles within teams. You know, as long as I do my job, I get the athlete stronger, more powerful, whatever, I've done it. So I, that's I've justified my individual job, but also enough of us doing that, we've also justified uh, incorrectly, obviously, We've also justified now the relevance of, of this profession within, within the industry. Now, that's also because of that, because of that is the way in which we have been able to justify our, you know, our, our, our own sort of positions and our own jobs. That has kind of dictated where we've gone with our studies, what we, what we study and research in sports science, um, what we test how we and how we train, how we program and what type of work that we're going to do within our roles as strength and conditioning or fitness professionals. We tend to, you know, gravitate towards things that we can test well and thus therefore justify what we're doing, right? So it's, it's, it's very, very different from speed. I mean, how do we justify that? That's, that's, that's it's, it's, it's far more challenging. You know, those, um, you know, the complexities around when, you, when you're talking about, you know, the chaotic system that, that professional sport is, it's really difficult for any of us as individuals within the su support team within that system to justify our own little position within that team. And that's our challenge. That's our challenge as an industry. And that's our challenge as individuals within it. Where, you know, what, what we've traditionally done in SNC is looked at it, you know, just really reduced it into its most simplistic standpoint. Okay, I'm a strength coach. If I get this athlete stronger, I've done my job. And whether that's weight on the bar, whether it's uh, force platform testing, whether it's Nord board, whether it's uh, position transducers, whatever, however I can justify that the work that I'm doing is preparing the athlete in a positive way, i.e. the athlete is improving on the metrics that I am measuring, then I've done my job. Which is fantastic for you guys as people widen their horizons and look to athletics for, like you say, inspiration um, and can provide that education. So, but but just, just to back on that first point around kind of underpinning characteristics of speed and been, like you say, been similar between the, the track the tracks um, athletes and the and the team sport athletes at a very base level. At what point, and this is getting a little bit more in depth on that, really. At what point are we moving away from the kind of isolated sprinting at that very core level to a more contextual um, environment for, say, a soccer player or a rugby player or whatever that may be, NFL uh, athlete? Well, that's the big question. That's the big question, obviously, right? Um, and it, it just goes back to that question about transference again. It's no different from what we're doing in the weight room. 
you know, what are we doing in the weight room by doing a power clean, for example, or a back squat or a front squat or reverse hyper or whatever exercise you pick one. Do we do any of those things out on the field? No, we don't do any of them. So those are so, so many generations away from what the athlete is actually performing within the sport. Way, you know, many, many more generations away than actual sprinting, which every court and field based sport athlete actually does. So it, 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 it's funny to me and very curious to me that we make that argument and we love to make that argument. The technical coaches love to make that argument. Well, you know, my athlete doesn't get upright. He only accelerates. So why are you teaching how to upright sprint? Well, does your athlete, you know, clean, uh, clean 60 kilos off the bar and put it on their, on their shoulders on the field? So why are you getting, to, why are you getting them to do that as well? Right. So it's just, for me, it's, um, you know, people who make that argument, it's a little bit of a straw man for me. Um, I, I think there's a logical error that they're making right from the stand, right from the start. And for me, it's a pretty, it's, it's, that being said, it's a very, it's still a very valid question. And it's a question that we should ask of, does it doesn't matter what we are doing, working back from the support, we need to be able to justify every piece of the preparation program, whether it's lifting a weight or whether it's sprinting or whether it's jumping or throwing, throwing things, whatever, whatever it may be that we're doing to you know, improve the physical uh, capacities of the athlete in front of us, we need to be able to justify it. So, you know, it's li like I said before, you're starting from the sport and working backwards. If you're, if you're an offensive lineman in American football, we're not going to spend a lot of time sprinting. But if you're a striker and, you know, you're, you're, you're playing the, in the premiership and part of what is important to you is speed, then we're probably going to be negligent if we're not spending a lot of time with you teaching you how to sprint technically or working on the, that sprinting ability trying to get you faster. And if it, become, if it is a big part of your preparation, then it is contingent upon us as professionals that are responsible for coaching you guys to hopefully do it the right way and the correct way and teach you how to sprint properly. Now, then the question becomes, you know, content versus context. So you're probably not within the confines of a, of a soccer game or, or a field hockey game or, you know, pick your sport, thinking about your technique while you're actually moving around the field. You're, you might be subconsciously aware of it, but you're de definitely not generally consciously thinking about, for example, driving your knees forward or driving your knees up or what you're doing with your hands, right? Now, however, I mean, that doesn't mean that you're not, that you, we shouldn't be working on that from a less contextual, contextualized standpoint away from the confines of the game. And what I would say, and my argument is that probably the, the, the more experienced you are, the longer you've been in the sport, the longer you've been moving a certain way, the less time that we as, as professionals should spend trying to change that way of moving or quote unquote perfect it or improve that way of moving. But if you're a 12 year old female soccer player and you can you know, barely move your limbs with any efficiency or force, then it's continuing. It's, it's, it's part of our role to try to teach you how to move properly. And whether that is, is sprinting, whether that's kicking a ball, whether that's jumping, throwing, whatever, that's part of our role. That's part of our, like I said, it's part of our responsibility. So, so, so as I said, I mean, there's a continuum of where, um, you know, the content of a movement versus the context of a movement crosses over and where it's important. You know, if you're a professional uh, uh, footballer in the English premiership, then how, 
you know, and you're 30 years old, I'm probably not going to spend a lot of time decontextualizing how you move and working you in a, in a separate environment, isolated environment, and trying to teach you how to sprint. But if you're a 15-year-old and you don't know how to sprint and nobody's really taught you how to sprint and it has the opportunity then to become your you know, most efficient, natural way to sprint if I can teach you that way, then I'm going to spend a lot of time with that. So it's, it, 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 again, it all always depends upon, you know, where, you know, who that athlete is, where we're working with them, you know, where they are, what sport they are, what position in the sport that they're playing, you know, so on and so forth. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Pacing Performance Bite Size. So this Bite Size clip came from episode number 286 with Stuart McMillan. So if you want to check out the full episode, you can listen to it on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, or anywhere you get your podcasts.